Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Yay! And joining us tonight, you know her from such films as The Woman, Imitation Girl, Darling, Jugface, and many more, it's Lauren Ashley Carter. Lauren, good evening. Hi, how are you? Very well, how are you? I'm doing well. We've asked this question to one another about four times now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My yeah. answer does change every time, but as I keep sipping the tequila, things are getting better. Good. I'm getting a bit uncomfortable hearing it, to be honest, hearing this exchange back and forth. The answers have never been the same at all. Somebody's lying somewhere. So, uh, Mitch, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, all the better for having just... <laughs> My head's still spinning, I would say, because uh, I'm just 20 minutes out from my first viewing of Frankenhooker, Lauren, your film choice for this evening. Yeah. Oh, my God. Even watching it last night, I, I totally forgot things that when we get to them, I'll tell you what I forgot and you'll be shocked that I forgot them. But it's because <laughs> so many ridiculous and absurd things happen that, that you do forget. It's just, it's a non-stop, ridiculous, absurd feast. I would definitely agree with that. Like I say, I think my, I think my general impression is forming, but that much I'm sure of. <laughs> um, so one, had you not watched this in a while? And two, when did you see this for the first time? Okay, I guess it's been about two, no, th- yeah, but it's three years, I think, since my last viewing of it. And then before that, I think it was about five years, maybe. Because, yeah, I got it on Blu-ray when it came out a couple years ago or a few. I, I, I don't know. Time means nothing to me. I've had a child. Mm. I've lost all perception of time. But uh, the first time I ever saw it, this is a kind of interesting story, possibly. Sometimes I think things are interesting and they're, they're very much not. But <laughs> I watched a lot of things. This happened. I listen to your show a lot and people constantly say, I saw this way too young, right? And Or I saw many horror movies way too young. And we all seem to be horror fans. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that says, but it makes an impression on us and it makes a good one because... I've never really heard anyone say, you know, I saw this horror movie and then I stopped and I couldn't watch any. It's like, no, I wanted more, right? (laughs) So I must have been very young because I don't even remember what it was on. If it was on VHS, it was on TV, possibly. But all I remember is that for years later, I kept saying to my father, I want to watch the movie with the girls that get all cut up and put back together. And my dad's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> and I kept, I just, and now this is before the internet, right? Or like when I, when I was growing up, you had like the AOL discs that you signed on and we didn't even have that in my house. So there was no way of knowing except for asking other people, going to the video stores and looking in the yellow pages. And I didn't have any success with any of this, but I ended up watching a slew of strange body horror movies trying to find Frankenhooker. And it wasn't until... I moved to New York City, made some friends, and someone was asking me about Frank Henenlotter. And I'm like, no, I don't think I've ever seen any Frank Henenlotter. So we watched Basket Case, loved that. And then um, eventually uh, someone brought up Frankenhooker. 
and they put it on and I'm watching it and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, this is the movie. <laughs> so I get on the phone and I call my dad. I'm like, dad, dad, remember that movie I was always telling you about where I was like, I want to see the movie where they cut up all the girls and put them back together. And he's like, he's dying laughing. He goes, yeah, I was like, it's Frankenhooker. And my dad's like, Jesus Christ, I let you watch that? (laughs) (laughs) I was so happy. And so, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like losing a puppy or something and finding it as a grown dog later in your life and being like, I still love it. (laughs) (laughs) I get the impression that that wouldn't be made into, like, a wholesome internet video in the same way that somebody being reunited with a dog would be. (laughs) It's a tale as old as time. I was just, I, you can't even understand my happiness. And it was even better than I had remembered as a child. Uh, I didn't remember all the titties, but mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah There's oh, lots oh, of titties oh. in this movie. <laughs> I was going to say, of which there are plenty. There are literal sure. piles of titties in this film. <laughs> yeah. Yep, stacks. Andy. Yeah. I'm going to hazard a guess that uh, you've got a bit of a history with this one as well. Well, Mitch, uh, this is the third Frank Henenlotter film that we've done in in relatively quick succession, I would think. Um, But uh, it's not going to come as a surprise to you or to anyone listening that I'm a big Frank Henenlotter fan. I absolutely love Frankenhooker. It was a video shop constant for me. Um, Not a fan, okay. Not a van, not the... the, I I think I've painted this guy in a bad light. He wasn't in any way sinister, to the best of my knowledge. He just provided a valuable door-to-door service. I do think that van owners are unfairly profiled in that way. I think people certainly that sell things out of vans are unfairly profiled. Um, I mean, look, for every ice cream man that deals heroin, there's got to be three or four that are good and don't and are just <laughs> in it for the love of the ice cream. For sure. So you've been back and forth to this one a lot over the years. Though. Oh I. Uh, in fact it was the, the 2011 Arrow Video Blu-ray that I watched tonight. Okay. Yeah, Fancy. Yeah. That was, uh, I think That's that was a, one. a day one purchase for me when it came out back then and it still has pride of place. I, I, I love it greatly and uh, I just think it's a, a smashing little film. This film's a result of an on-the-spot idea at a pitch meeting. And uh, it's all the better for it, I think. I think that the fact that you have a long and storied history with this film is as unsurprising as the fact that I watched it for the first time tonight. I did not watch it on a 2011 Arrow Video Blu-ray. I would go as far as to say quite the opposite. I watched it on YouTube with Spanish subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) See? See? (laughs) Which was educational and entertaining. I was going to say, did you learn any words? I think that like, when I inevitably watch this a second time, um, uh, I'm going to try and uh, hammer down some catchphrases just for right. my next holiday, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, if you've listened to the show before, you may well know what is coming next. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, let's sign confidence. So for the benefit of anyone that is listening that hasn't seen Frankenhooker, how are you feeling about 30 Second Synopsis? I'm pretty confident, guys. Now, I, wanted, I was going to write this shit down, and Andy tut-tutted me. Mm, he I said tut tut like that was frowned upon that was like some illegal move on the podcast it feels um, fraudulent uh, to me i wouldn't say illegal i would say it's not against the rules but it's not in the spirit of the game right you know andy 30 seconds on the clock oh uh yes all right okay Lauren, here we go three two one go all right so jeffrey franken he's a failed medical student and an amateur innovator uh, after one of his innovations kills his fiance, uh, cuts her up into pieces. He tries to put the pieces of his life back together as well as the pieces of her. Um, let's see. Um, it's about love, loss, and unquestionable science uh, mm. as he goes forward trying to find the perfect body parts for 
the love of his life. Done. Oh, I can actually hear the time run, uh, time running out. Yeah, right, did you hear that? Yeah, 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 very nice. Yeah, lovely stuff. Uh, pretty good. You had you actually had a perfect window where you could have stopped, but you really you pushed yourself that little bit further, and it worked out in your favor. I have to say. Oh, do you think so? Yeah, because I mm. I was like, do I do I do a Costanza? I just say I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I think <laughs> when I'm on top. I think that's what you could have done. I'm glad you didn't, but it was a risky move because you did. I thought you were going to overrun. I have to be honest. Oh really? Yeah, I, I thought you were pushing it. I have a good sense of time. I love to be proved yeah. wrong. It's Jeffrey that we meet right away here. I really think that character introduction-wise, this is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, with him trying to coax sentient movement out of what appears to just be a brain with an eyeball in it. Yeah. Also, on first glance, like at the time, especially, I thought, is this Andrew McCarthy? <laughs> right. Okay, I get that. Yeah, from Mannequin. And Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, but I did. it looks like him until he opens his mouth and then he's like, let's see that paper. And you're like, oh no, that, that's not <laughs> true. Uh, <laughs> second doubting on the show for the absolutely wonderful James Lorenz, Mitch. Okay. He is arguably one of the best characters, although very brief, in Street Trash. He's the wise-talking doorman. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember. You're going back away with that one, but I, I remember. He's he's excellent um, in this, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I want to get something. I want to get something out there right away, um, which was that for my watch of this to go even halfway successfully, I had to like park one of my major hang-ups at the door, uh-huh. which is um, Ooh. which is characters talking to themselves extensively, <laughs> uh, which is something that I find annoying at the best of times, and is near relentless in this film. There is no silence in this film that is not feverishly stuffed with words. Um, so after about maybe five or six minutes, I was like, right, I am going to have to just get on this train. I mean, subtitles yeah. on, although you had Spanish subtitles. <laughs> I, I, was tell- I was telling Andy, like, in the opening credits... When he's going over his schematic yes. of, of the electrical wiring that is a human body, apparently, we're all filled with volts and circuit breakers. Sure. Um, <laughs> I was like, you have to put the subtitles on because you will miss it. You know, you'll kind of just be fascinated by this ridiculous drawing he's doing. But the subtitles, oh, when you hear the gems, oh, it's just gold. Or <laughs> oh, the ridiculous drawing that Frank Henenlotter's hands are doing. Oh. You were going to come up with these. Dropping factoids, fact bombs. Mm-hmm. Somebody was doing their trivia time today. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Mm-hmm. I think as a character introduction, in terms of this whole film setting, it's stall out. This is pretty great. Not least because Elizabeth, his uh, fiance, is eviscerated by a remote control lawnmower before the opening credits. I am very bad at establishing who main characters are going to be in films. No more so than in this situation. Because I knew nothing. I, I Obviously, I had a vague idea what the kind of basic concept of this film was but i didn't know how it fed into a story so as soon as we met his fiance i was like oh i wonder how she'll figure in uh this narrative and how their like and how their relationship will be affected then mm-hmm. literally as i reach the end of that thought she dies <laughs> <laughs> well you, you do get to meet patty mullen here as elizabeth mm, yeah. uh, she, although she's wearing a, a fat suit that actually isn't a, that noticeable a fat suit it would have been better to me if they'd really chopped yeah, that out further the, the pattern that she's wearing hides it i think maybe monochromatic tones could mm. have really uh elaborated it and obviously her face hasn't been touched at all so she's no. still got this chiseled <laughs> gorgeous face 
Um, but but it even but it makes it so funny to me. And the comments about her are just horrible. Oh, I, yeah. the, and and she had. Uh, are we at the stapled your stomach part yet? I don't want to uh, jump ahead. I don't know where. Well, all that stuff's yeah. kind of important because that gives us an insight into the kind of person that Jeffrey is. Um, because and, and her as well. Like she's yeah. super down with him experimenting on her. So we kind of established that. Even so, it's like oh, he she might not be so pissed when she realizes what he's done. Yeah, because I'm because this did occur to me um because they're supporting your husband and his dreams and there's letting him staple your stomach when he's been kicked out of three medical schools which we also learn in this very exposition heavy precurrence i think that might be for doing shit like he's doing right now which is essentially hammering a scalpel into a brain with an eyeball in it also this isn't his house he's doing this in the the kitchen of his mother-in-law's house that's what I, I forgot as well. I was like, wait, where is he? Oh, he's at a barbecue? Oh, he's in the kitchen. Okay. He keeps getting interrupted because of condiments. <laughs> I really like the idea of everybody else turning up with like burgers, ribs, and like potluck and stuff, and him turning up with like a toolkit and a brain with an eye in a jar. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love I love food in movies in general, and I especially love it in horror movies. Because I feel like a lot of movies, they take food out, they take people eating out, like they try to make them these superhuman people that just feel things and never sustain themselves with like nutrients. Yeah. So I love I love food in movies, like as ridiculous as this is. Uh, we'll get to the sandwich and the monologue later, which is uh-huh. just one of my favorite parts of the film. Oh my god. After we lose Elizabeth off camera, um, we do get the credits which we talked about. Jeffrey kind of feverishly talking to himself over this drawing. After that, a chronology hop I wrote of indeterminate length. How long after the death of Elizabeth do we land here, do we think? It can't be that long because it's still kind of in the press. People are still kind of hunting for her uh, missing body parts. That news report that he watches later, by the way, on that videotape is hilarious when it refers it's to beautiful. her as, yeah, refers to it's her as a, gorgeous gir- writing. a girthy girlfriend or something girthful fiance <laughs> the girthful fiance and then the tossed human salad they uh, m- uh, mentioned this not once but like three times uh-huh um she's reduced to a human tossed salad a salad police are still trying to gather up um, <laughs> a salad that was once named elizabeth <laughs> <laughs> by the way how great is the title of this film oh it's like everything. It's just packaged so perfectly in the purple and the name and the. Oh, mm, I could go on. Yeah, they they had a real hard time. Like um, anytime they said the title to anyone, they knew they were going to like run into problems. People would like balk from anything they were asked as soon as they heard the title. So they started calling it Frankenstein ninety. So that was like what was on the on the script, and that was what was on the slate. So people apparently wow. if, when Hera Lotter went to speak to people to ask them for stuff, he was like, yeah, it's called Frankenstein 90 and people were just like, yeah, here, have whatever you want. Like, Holy shit, I didn't know that. Me neither. Inevitably, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing the other thing that I like um, in the news bulletin, because I don't want to blow past it because I just think that like for a news bulletin within a film, it's just so incredibly managed down to every last detail being hilarious. I love the really exasperated policeman who just like, he's <laughs> just absolutely by the time the his like his like interview section is ending, he just completely reaches the end of his rope, and it's just like, yeah, she's just like a giant jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, I agree with you. I th- I wrote in my notes, give this man awards. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the cop who's like, you can see him like counting all the bits, and then he like loses count, <laughs> and he has to like start again. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. I didn't caught that. <laughs> Maybe it was buried under the Spanish subtitles. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> 
I also like the fact that like uh, he's like um, Jeffrey himself is seeing in this kind of footage that he's held onto and watches back. We see him being interviewed, or the police try and interview him at least about where his wife's head is, and uh, his incredibly bad, unconvincing denial leaves absolutely zero doubt in anyone's mind that he definitely has it. so i think a lot of the great dialogue happens in this first bit right with the newscaster and the police guy the cop whatever and and jeffrey's line why don't you just leave people alone with their grief (laughs) i love that line it's gorgeous when it was like where's do we know where her head is it's like do you vultures need to leave people alone with their grief it's like that's not a no that's not an i don't know I think uh, James Lorenz looks great here. I think his makeup's really good because he looks genuinely tired and ill. Yeah, yeah. He he goes from like zero to shit face real quick. <laughs> I've been there. We also get to meet Jeffrey's mother here, who she's obviously quite a caring mother, but I wouldn't say that she's the most sympathetic because her dialogue here pretty much revolves around listen, you've moped around for long enough, why don't you put your dead fiancé behind you, go back to medical school and find another girl? Again, why don't you vultures give people time to grieve? Yeah. Well, this is also famous actress Louise Lazar, mm. we should point out, from like Woody Allen films. So oh, really? okay. she, Yeah, she must be very good friends with Frank or something. She's obviously a New Yorker, a native New Yorker, I'm assuming from her accent. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, so Louise Lazar, big deal. And she's playing the mother <laughs> um, I'm gonna hazard a guess not that attached to Elizabeth because as I say Andy like not only is she just like you need to move on and find another partner or girlfriend or wife or whatever she's specifically like you need to find another partner that checkout girl at the supermarket was asking about you again you should definitely go on a date with her mm-hmm. she's leaning in hard I also continuing though my pattern of after last week with the Toxic Avenger being weirdly sympathetic towards parent figures who are in films for like three minutes Right. Well, that was a big thing, though. It seems to be a trope in a lot of films that they kind of come in so that the main character can have this confessional moment. And it's that parents just don't understand. So I'm going to go ahead and do my shit anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, Jeffrey's incredibly self-aware in the kind of monologue that he gives to his mom here, where um, he comments on how he's antisocial, how the lines of his morality are becoming blurred, that he believes he's descending into madness. He comments on his own like deteriorating mental state with like unbelievable clarity. Yeah, and it's this moment that everything could have been turned around had he said this to the right person. Sure, yeah. (laughs) But unfortunately, he said it to mom, and she's like, you want a sandwich? Ah, the classic (laughs) restorative sandwich. Yep, there's some leftover egg salad in the fridge. Oh, and and I know, and I was like, is this purposefully a callback to the salad again? Could he just not resist, or was this an accident? We'll never know. (laughs) Personally, I don't think I could face a salad again if that was me. No, no. No, I wouldn't say so. Uh, I also can't believe that I didn't connect those two dots until right now either, honestly. Food is always on my mind, so don't, <laughs> don't feel bad. <laughs> um, things take a fairly aggressive left turn at this point. I'm saying left turn. I mean, we're already in pretty weird territory. Um, yeah. But yeah, in the next scene, he is toasting to the future with his dead wife's disembodied head and then feeding it wine. Also, tiny little head. Teeny, tiny little head. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's probably dehydrated, though, and he probably shouldn't be giving her wine. Like, okay, besides the fact that she's a decapitated head, mm-hmm. she's very dehydrated, and I just don't think the alcohol is a very good idea. I would say she's probably not that dehydrated, given that she's been steeping in that vat of purple liquid for quite a long time. All right. I'll hear you. 
just answering those big questions again. He's like, oh, you know, so perfect, so neat, so nice and neat as it just pours out of the cavity in the bottom all over the tablecloth. Yeah, this big widening red pool on the tablecloth. It's, this scene it's might be one gross. of the biggest signs that Jeffrey's losing his mind. <laughs> That's and an also imp- the fact that he's like, oh, let's get some Italian and it's like leftover pizza and some Tupperware. I, I thought that was really funny as well because the rest of the surroundings and the kind of everything about it is so kind of decadent and fancy and opulent. And then he just produces, yeah, this like demonstrably very cold, very old pizza. I love um, the reveal of pizza under that cloche. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, what is also really funny is the poem that he recites here. Do you know what oh, else is yes. really funny before you get to the poem? The flip chart of naked ladies with Elizabeth's head glued onto them that, oh, he, yeah. that he pulls out and starts to kind of talk to, kind of show her as if it's like a choice that she's making. And perhaps maybe you could be this woman and you could straddle my mum's basement couch. It's just, Kneeling it, on Ma's couch in the basement. It's very that funny. Is... Yeah. That kind of looked like, you know, like in a lot of ways, that would have led into like a kind of 80s trying on clothes style montage of her on yeah, different bodies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so right. Missed opportunity. <laughs> but yeah i think that the poem that he reads are here which is obviously supposed to be like romance poetry is also amazing about exploring romance poetry like i'm not good at these things okay <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah yeah i think it's supposed to be about like devotion and stuff right yeah yeah in a far more disturbing way but yeah sure so the thing that i forgot about is coming up which are the cluster headaches i oh, totally yeah. forgot about the cluster headaches because i just i don't know maybe i had like salad and titties on the mind <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't uh- <laughs> But yeah, yeah, Jeffrey treats his headaches with uh, a drill. Um, also here we get a cool little thing where we see the weatherman, played by Zachary, who was the voice of Aylmar in Brain Damage. Oh nice, okay. Yes, telling yes. Us, yeah. Gorgeous moment. Mm-hmm. Telling us that there is a storm due in two days. A storm that will no doubt bring with it the electricity required to reanimate dead tissue the weatherman does um relay the particulars of this with unbelievable specificity to jeffrey's exact situation (laughs) and jeffrey also reacts as if it is also going to be the last storm that will ever happen on the planet earth he's like oh god oh no two days two days we only have two days it's like it's new jersey it's probably gonna storm again in yeah, <laughs> I think he wants this process to move along at a clip because he does miss his dead fiance. All right, you got to bring that into it. <laughs> Andy, it's time to move on. There is okay. There's urgency. Yeah, have a sandwich, Andy. Get yeah. over it. Like, have a sandwich and go talk to the nice girl at the supermarket. All right. <laughs> um, oh, no, but... oh, they can't because you guys are still in lockdown, aren't you? We can go. Yeah. We can still go to the supermarket. Yeah, we can go to the supermarket, yeah. How can you? But you just couldn't, like, shake hands. You'd probably have to, like, elbow bump or something. Oh, yeah, and you definitely couldn't do that. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Pretty much any any contact would be frowned upon. Yeah, uh, but I also think that kind of, like, meet cutes with checkout girls probably kind of like are, like, 30 to 50% less successful when you're both wearing masks and one of them is behind a thick sheen of plastic. I don't know, Mitch. There's been a fair amount of porn sprung up during lockdown where people fuck wearing Stop. masks. Stop. No. Don't <laughs> I have not made that up. I've heard from solid sources. You don't need, it's okay. You don't need to tell us about your sources. It's yeah, right. sure. Sure. We don't need to know how you air quotes heard about that. That's fine. <laughs> um, I love the fact that, Andy, you were just about to blow past the fact that um, Jeffrey alleviates his headaches by drilling holes in his head. Can somebody explain to me what the hell is going on here? No. Yeah. So the, and what really confuses me is when, so he's got the little flags 
mm-hmm. that represent the parts in his brain. And mm-hmm. I don't understand if he, and he says, good night, 21 or whatever it is. So I'm like, is he drilling away these parts? Or, you know, what are these flags? Because if he is, shouldn't he remove the flag to be like, already went there? I think that's what it is. I think that he's drilled in so many places. So he's marking all of them. Uh-huh. No, like, like, I, I couldn't make sense of it. Also, I wasn't going to be like, oh, I'm not sure if the science of this holds up. But I did also wonder what was going on. It seems to me that he uses this as a a way to alleviate the pressure in his head so that his headaches stop, but also to offer him the clarity to think for a minute without a crushing headache. Yeah, and it's well, and it also later he does it to try to stop himself from feeling empathy. Mm, that's right. Yes. Uh huh. So I yeah. So I think that there are there's a, a variety of ways in which he uses this very scientific process. But it's certainly drilling in his skull. Certainly in this instance, it seems to be to kind of help him determine how he's going to get the body parts required to bring Elizabeth back to life. And on first drilling, it seems like he's going to go for like air stewardesses, but he realizes that that's that's silly because they might be people might look for them and like they might be missed. So the natural progression from that is to prostitutes. Which, and we've seen that in a lot of films before, right? People that, you know, nobody would know that would go missing. I mean, Jack the Ripper, obviously, that's like a real case. There was a film, uh, Extreme Measures, um, with, oh my God, Hugh Grant and Gene Hackman, where they do experiments on homeless people Mm -hmm. um, for the the greater good. But this is definitely a theme in films. Oh, yeah, sure. And and not for no reason. I think that's, and always on Law & Order SVU, sex workers are constantly... You know, uh, you hear about rapes and murders all the time because, you know, nobody cares about them. So I, I do think that there's uh, some um, psychosocial issues that are being addressed in this film. And yeah, there's also some comments to be made about drug use. Yeah, oh, <laughs> well, we're not there yet, but yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, I would say that that's fair. In his mission to kind of assemble the parts that are going to constitute the reanimated Elizabeth, he does go for New York's prostitutes. He heads over there, starts kind of, I guess, doing his research. Um, at one point, he is trying to get two at the same time, yeah. uh, which one of the prostitutes describes as a twosome, which I did not think was the word for that. That would surely indicate a threesome. A threesome, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was more so she, what, I, what I was thinking. Right, well, maybe she was breaking it down. The twosome will join your onesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Be the threesome. Or maybe they assumed yeah. that he was going to observe... And that would be the limit of his involvement. Right, which later on we realize that he's got absolutely no tolerance for lesbianism. No, 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 no. Okay. Wow, no. Scarily so. By the way, this was filmed in what is now Tribeca in New York, and it was also filmed, Mitch, way, way back to Basket Case in the approximate area where Naked Dwayne runs through the street. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, cool. But yeah, as you say, um, I guess yeah, he, this is kind of like the first of two trips, right? Um, yes, and he, he also has all this money that apparently he got from his Christmas Club account. And I didn't know what a Christmas Club account was, so I had to look it up. And it is a thing, and it's still a thing, which is basically like a <laughs> savings account for Christmas. Right. And I'm like, yo, where the fuck does this motherfucker have all this Christmas savings money? Like, what? <laughs> what? And why? And who for what? Like, well, I would say perhaps he was planning on lavishing it on his fiance, and then she died. All right, we're back to this love story again, Andy. You've really got to eat a sandwich. I yeah. don't know what to tell you. I know, man, Andy. You're banging that dead wife drum pretty fucking hard today, I'll say that. <laughs> you guys moved on so fast from this film's central tragedy. I can't even... I, I genuinely worry about you, and I worry about your, your empathy levels. Perhaps it should be you guys who are off drilling into your brains. <laughs> 
before he can uh, before he can finalize um, any deals or transactions, he has to negotiate with Zoro. Unfortunately, not Mitch. You can't just say Zoro like that. You can't well, just throw out. I mean, his name is Zoro, guys. This yeah. is crazy. Um, not not like I say the TV and film character, the horseback vigilante, but instead a perma bronze mustachioed pimp. Yeah. But what's interesting is that so the original Zorro was in 1957, the first TV show. The second iteration of this was in 1990, the same year that Frankenhooker came out. So my question is, you know, was this public knowledge or was like, I would be furious if I was Henenlotter, like Zoro, what a great name. Nobody's going to remember Zoro or if they do, it's going to be hilarious. And then Zoro comes back out again. Mm. I mean, no, but what about my Zoro, my pimp Zoro? I don't know. I'd be a little bit mad that like the new Zoro was coming out. <laughs> my pimp Zoro sounds like the adult version of my neighbor Totoro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching it. <laughs> I love Joe Gonzalez on this as Zorro. In fact, I, I, he's also in Basket Case. He has a run-in right. in the showers with Elmer, uh, which is spectacular. I, I think he's great. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, uh, okay. He's he's an absolute hoot in every scene. Like He plays Zorro with such menace, and then later on in the film with such kind of sadness and sorrow. Uh, Zorro's yeah. sorrow. That, uh, it's quite touching. And he's not bad to look at either. He's I'll a big say. lump of man. <laughs> but it is like his, yeah, his character and everything. And those scenes, those, those bathroom scenes, I think they're really spot on. Mm. Like they're very over the top and trashy and everything. But like, I've definitely been to some parties like that in New York. I was like, <laughs> mm, I'm feeling pretty weird right now. This is, this is right. So before he goes back for the kind of the hotel trip with the seven or eight prostitutes i uh, lost count he buys some crack from zoro as well who is quite the entrepreneur it seems um but he takes that back and chemically enhances it he's basically going to turn it into like instant exploding serum well it's called super crack thank you andy yes. yeah, i was but, waiting for that and uh, another interesting <laughs> fact here mitch while this scene is going on there's a tv show in the background called motormouth okay uh which has casey the benevolent prostitute that lives in the same apart or the same hotel as Dwayne on it Talking about sex workers' rights. That's right. That's wild. And it was a good show. And you've got this obviously very conservative host of the show mm -hmm. that's just like doing all these, you know, looks to the camera and the audience and rolling his eyes. And and the name of the organization is Hooker. Yeah. I think, which is this yeah. uh, acronym for taking, it was something about taking back their rights or something like this. Yeah. And this show was making Jeffrey empathize. Um, and, and he's like, yes, he was agreeing with her. He's like, yeah, legalize sex work. That's right. And is this where we see the footage of Zorro yeah. uh, assaulting a sex worker? And as we get closer, oh, it's Elizabeth. <laughs> but it's not really. It's just in his head, obviously. And so therefore yeah. he needs to drill, drill it away. Yeah. 100%. Drill your cares away. And it's justification for doing what he's doing here and creating the super crack with a kind of aim to, I guess, take it to the girls and maybe kill them quickly and quietly as that crack's already killing them. This will just speed it up. And he says they have a choice. They can just say no. An important message there. Thank you, Lauren. That's true. Mm. Crack, famously mm. not that addictive. <laughs> crack, crack is whack. <laughs> and if you're interested at all in the effects of super crack kids 
just watch what happens to this guinea pig here because this guinea pig and this super crack they're not meant for each other because as soon as the the, the guinea pig takes a puff it explodes it's an arresting visual i hate to do this but this kind of throws a wrench in his science i know it hasn't happened yet i am glad at this point but the so he's just using a um oh god i don't even know what those those things are called you use them to kind of like stoke a fire bellows um bellows Yes. So he uses a bellows that's filled with the super crack, but it's in a powder form, I guess. And he puts it in the hamster's face. So therefore, technically, wouldn't anyone near the super crack in the room, you wouldn't have even had to smoke it and inhale it yourself. You would explode. Mm. I feel like it has to be taken deep into the lungs. Okay. A guinea pig's okay. lungs are tiny. They're going to fill up with whatever gas you put in a guinea pig's face in record time. I think you could probably kill it. i the size a... of a guinea pig. I don't know. It mm. makes me nervous. I think you could probably wow. kill a guinea pig if you were close enough and farted in its mouth. <laughs> um... After smoking crack or just in general? I love it. <laughs> it's the kind of things that you do, you, you do when, you're, when you're on super crack. I love the fact that the no, arc no. of this conversation has been, Lauren, you leading with, I am going to hypothesize that I might be debunking the science of Frankenhooker. And then Andy being like, actually, I think it's sound and I'll tell you why. <laughs> That's a far more concentrated dose to a guinea pig than it is to a human being. I think you would have to ingest it deep into the lungs, into the bloodstream, which would then lead to the this pyrotechnic display that we see later on in humans. Yeah. And yeah, we are pretty much off to the hotel at this point um, with Jeffrey and, like I say, seven, eight of the women who, who go on to air quotes inspect to find the parts that he is looking for for um, Elizabeth. This montage takes forever and against my better judgment, I laughed at it a lot. That's fine. Did you get oh, yeah, I was taking a lot of little videos and sending them to people without any context. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time for me. Did you get a list of the names there, Mitch? Uh, no, I didn't, but that's, uh, that sounds like a loaded question. I'm guessing you did. Well, what we have here is Honey, Angel, Crystal Amber, Anise, Chartreuse, Snow Sugar, and Monkey. <laughs> can we do? Can we hear it one more time? Just, sure, just for sure. the people um, in the back. That was Honey, Angel, Crystal Amber, Anise, Chartreuse, Snow Sugar, and Monkey. <laughs> Sung um, to the tune of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> One of the most horrifying moments for me as an actress would have been having to be the one with the magnifying glass on the nipple. Mm. I mean, that's hard. Like, it was right up in there. Yeah. yeah. And then the poke as well. And then he says, nice buoyancy, which has to be my least favorite line in the movie. Up there with yeah. It's, it's pretty <laughs> terrible. Oh, Mitch, did you notice when all this is going on with the, with the, with the hookers in this, in this room? He's got a head mirror on. I did notice they had a head mirror on, actually, yeah. This all gets out of hand pretty quickly, sped along particularly by them discovering his stash of super crack prematurely. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really funny that um, he gets absolutely raging at all of them for not immediately understanding the particulars of what his plan is. I don't think that if you're unfamiliar with the situation, his plan is particularly guessable. That's true. Uh, did you notice as well uh, Chekhov's butt tick? Yes. Never put never put a check mark on someone's arse in Act One that you don't uh, revisit in Act Three. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Zorro's here, and he's he's getting really annoyed now because time's marching on. He's actually losing money at the time this is taken, and he's we he's dressed now in a lovely blue vest and those trousers that wrestlers wear at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> those yeah the, every, everybody wore those trousers at that time if you went to a gym like even one day a week you were wearing them <laughs> like my mom definitely had a collection of them see when when this gets like really out of hand and the the devil music song starts playing <laughs> 
That's so funny when he calls that song the devil's music. Yeah, and then he's like, your body wasn't meant to do that. And I'm like, he's she, she's making out with a woman. Like, well, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, really doesn't like lesbians. I don't know. I was trying to catch, uh, I was trying to catch lyrics from the devil music song as it was playing in the background. The only one that I caught clearly, which I think in terms of like satanic panic, fairly on the nose, was the line, play this song backwards. <laughs> Well, if you'd no had way. the subtitles, no. Mitch, you would have seen a lot more than that because there was lyrics along the lines of uh, just maybe try drugs. Maybe they're not so bad. <laughs> yeah. There's things like uh, premarital sex. Give it a whirl. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. I look forward to going back to this and learning how to say premarital sex, give it a whirl in Spanish. <laughs> Everyone takes the super crack and everyone explodes at the risk of uh, summarizing very abruptly. Some of the poses are so intricate and amazing. Mm. And then some are super lazy. <laughs> so you're like, oh, they obviously spent a lot of time on like five of them. And then they're like, oh, shit, we still have how many more? How many more do we have to do? Oh, fuck. Just, I don't know. Put your head to the side. That's fine. Stay there. <laughs> yeah. So there's mm-hmm. some interesting stuff about this film in terms of its, uh, its rating. Because there's actually not that much in this film. Like, there's next to no gore at all. No. Uh, like, this whole exploding scene, there is no blood in it at all. It's very rigid, foamy dummies that are mm-hmm. exploding. They're not filled with guts. They're not filled with, like, old bits of watermelon. When this got submitted to the NPAA, they took pretty much one look at it and called Frank Hennelotter back. And they said, congratulations, you've got the first S-rated film. And he went, oh. S-rated? What does that stand for? And the guy went, shit. (laughs) So this kind of bounced back and forward for a while. The MPAA were kind of refusing to budge on the matter. Uh, They wanted to put it out as an X, so there was a decision made by Frank Hennenlotter and the producers to just put it out unrated, Okay, which is what they did for a while. And then when they actually came round to, look, we kind of want to put this out, like kind of on a home entertainment release, they had to kind of get it certified because... Places like Blockbuster at the time weren't accepting X-rated films. So what happened was they kind of started recutting it and started trimming stuff out. And the only way that they were able to get their R rating was if they took the exploding hookers from seven down to the magic number of six. So they had to cut out one exploding hooker to get an R rating. I think they're all reinstated in whatever version version you're watching now. Yeah, I wonder wonder which one they cut out. But it's crazy (laughs) that that's the magic number that somehow... The MPAA were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we can put another exploding hooker in here. Yeah, it wasn't like, it wasn't like also that I got to the end of that sequence and I was like, wait a minute, where's Honey? <laughs> <laughs> I came here to see Chartreuse explode. <laughs> and also, like, it's hard to tell, I think, maybe until the very end with the last hooker climbing towards the door handle and reaching out. And then you get, like, a nice sustained mm. pose of the dummy. That's and Chartreuse, by the way. It almost looks like wood. Mm, yeah. Do you know what they were? I think to me they look like they look like foam. Mm. Um, they're very they're very textured. Yeah, I think that the piece de resistance of this entire segment is uh, Zoro getting whacked in the face by um, an exploding hooker head. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, it's a really like slow kind of coming at him. Ah! Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a gorgeous moment. And also, did Jeffrey? I mean, okay, this question probably it's going to answer itself. Did Jeffrey not think this through? 
Like the whole point was like getting like nice pieces to put on his fiance, and he's just bursting them into bits. <laughs> like yeah. they're gonna be jagged edges. Yeah, I would. It's 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 his first and only tactical blunder in this entire endeavor. I think. <laughs> I think he had an idea that this was going to happen, but then he did try to kind of extricate himself from the situation so that no one would die and ultimately right. that's taken out his hands when the, the hookers find the, the super crack and turn into literal animals it does escalate i think it's really funny at this point that he gathers up all of the body parts and takes them home to rifle through them for the pick of the bunch but when the time comes for him to like assemble them to make elizabeth alive again he just says out loud, I hope I'm doing the right thing. It's like, God, if you're going to be asking any moral questions, I don't really feel like now's the time. I feel mm. like the horse has bolted a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this is where we get well, the... But this comes back. That comes back, that question. I hope I did the right thing. <laughs> Later, when he go, returns to the scene of the crime and that pimp says to him, did you do the right thing? That's right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I don't, I, I, I don't I, know I, what to take out of that, Mitch. I'm just was, putting it out there. I was, I was going to say, which feels like as redundant a question there as it is here. Right. <laughs> this is where we get the pile of tits, by the way. Yep. Uh, I really, lo- I really love the visual of him rifling through this pile of tits and the bin full of legs. Yes, and then, and then the worst thing though that he's not because you know he's like, oh, he's talking about the state of things and the bunions. Oh. God forbid. And, yeah, and as a, and as a person oh, yeah. with bunions myself, I, I get it. They, they are terrible. I would throw them away if I could. Would you file them off? No, because I've heard that the surgery can really fuck up your toes and make it worse. Okay. I'd look like one of the creatures at the end of Frankenhooker after that. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that, because at this point, obviously, there's a pretty kind of sharp gear shift here, another one, uh, because uh, we're introduced to Elizabeth in this form uh, as the titular Frankenhooker. When she appears and she kind of just the first thing that she does is kind of knocks him out and you realize that all's not gone to plan because she basically seems to have come back with like a conglomeration of a, all of their brains or is it just the one? It's a bit of all, it's a bit of everyone. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. It's like a kind of legion for we are many type of thing going on inside. Sure. Uh, by the way, I can't blow past my favorite line in the film. When he sends that table up into the atmosphere to get zapped And by he the says, lightning. good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it always Good always luck. makes me laugh it's you're the one who's doing what she got to do with it what are you telling her good luck for <laughs> at this point when you yeah when you kind of get the visual of what she looks like and you see her walking around and like when she kind of knocks him out and kind of heads out looking for a kind of business i guess the thing that struck me uh was i mean the only frank henenlotter films that i've seen are the ones that we've covered on the show which were brain damage with uh chelsea stardust and Basket Case with Bria Grant, now this. And this one is the one that strikes me as the most cartoonish and the silliest, and I'm not entirely sure what it is about it that really drives it home. And I think that it might be, like, the lack of gore mm. and the emphasis on kind of, like, the cartoonish and silly elements. Yeah. But, like, I yeah, th- this one feels lighter to me than both of those ones. Well, Hen and Lotter has said that he never really envisioned this one to be so much a horror film. He wanted to lean more into the comedy of it than Brain Damage or Basket Case, which are pretty nasty and dirty films kind of throughout. Uh, so this one is certainly intended to be more playful. 
which I think mm. is why he was so put out by the kind of struggles that he had getting it certified and getting it released. Right, like it's just, it's supposed to be fun, everyone. Like, calm down. And uh, are you going to talk about Bill Murray? Uh, I know that Bill Murray did watch this film. He gave it a ringing endorsement. He's like, if you watch one film this year, watch Frankenhooker. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And there was a whole thing about how the company, like, I don't know if it was the production company or the label, someone was trying to, like, just put that all over the place, you know, and without talking to Bill Murray about it. And Hen and Lauder was like, no, we can't do that. He was a little embarrassed. And then they ended up talking to him and everything was cool. But yeah, Bill Murray fucking loves this movie. <laughs> Interesting. See if Bill Murray came out and said, if you watch one film this year now about any film, could you imagine the PR boost that would be because of the generation of people who fetishize Bill Murray so much now? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't really want to move on too far without talking about Patty Mullen as Elizabeth here. And okay. as yeah. the, I guess the visual of Elizabeth here, because I think she looks amazing i think it's a great visual and a brilliant performance it's so good her like every i couldn't do it i couldn't do it in a million years the like her twitches and everything and like how she Uh. goes from the beginning to being so glitchy perfectly and like um and also the echolalia that she has from these other women who you know apparently like the foot is getting into her central nervous system to her brain i don't know um (laughs) but i mean it's just seamless and then how she then kind of goes you know she kind of stabilizes into a few voices and then when she goes back into elizabeth like she is on point Mm, she's so fucking good brilliant physical performance and just very funny and infinitely lovable as this character Mm. who doesn't know who she is, why she is, where she is, what she is. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I kind of feel like now's as good a point as any to talk about that because I wrote down the same thing. I think that you're right. Like from the kind of the physical comedy element, I think that it's that it's really amazing. Like the, the way that she redelivers those lines and that really kind of oblivious, dead-eyed way is really funny. But you're right, considering that like ostensibly in terms of like as a character, she's given so little to do. It is a really weirdly lovable performance and a performance that's really, really easy to like. Because it's 50-odd minutes before she even appears. I think it's about 54-minute mark or something. Yeah, and then she just absolutely steals the show, takes over. I mean, she's just gorgeous. You can't take your eyes off her. Love it. 100%. Similarly, there's another character who can't take his eyes off her, and that's the little portly bald guy that she meets who she takes back for business, presumably. That's a David Lipman who has a very, very long IMDb here. And I've seen him on Law & Order a few times. He's a great actor. And he he is. He's so great. Like, his joy at seeing her, like, she's been sent from God to please him. Like, he's just, he's, and he's happy to die. (laughs) When he dies, it's like, he, it was a blessing to him to see her, even if that meant Mm. a horrific death. Purple areola there. And uh, there was a scene Mm. that apparently was flying around somewhere where she had purple pubes. Uh, (gasps) But I don't think, I don't know if it exists in any version anywhere in the world, but I think. uh, It it does in my head. In the version in my head now, forever, there will be purple pubes. Yeah, the the mind's eye cut of that film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, Lauren, did not go unnoticed. That's your second mention of Law and Order. Someone's a fan. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on an episode as well. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> um, he, you're right, Andy. He's like quite happy to die. He's like a kid going to Disney World before this uh, before this all goes down. She is hot. <laughs> yes. 
his face, his little precious face. And she actually said it was one of the scenes that she really didn't like doing because she had never done a kind of sex scene before, uh, if you can call it that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But just being on top of him and he had all this padding and she was very uncomfortable when they filmed it. But it's delightful to watch because to me, it doesn't even seem creepy or gross she seems in total control she's on top of him you know you can kind of see the electricity between them literally so to speak yeah yeah, no he was just delightful yeah there's a couple of really good kind of like in and out characters here because it's around about this time as well that jeffrey arrives trying to track her down and uh we meet um hysterical sandwich board clad street preacher who i also think is amazing yeah great stuff as well we also get the guy just after the little guy explodes uh, who is less of a nice character i suppose he's a bit more intense the guy who's like uh, how about i stick my tongue down your throat and then uh, he explodes seconds later which uh, is a blessing yeah the hallway guy yeah mm. and then we go back to zorro's club here and i think this is the bit i was talking about where it's re- like zorro's really lamenting the loss of his bitches and he- he's having a real kind of hard time presumably coming to terms with the massive lack of income that he's uh, now coming face to face with. Uh, but yeah, you're right. He's, he's sitting there, kind of swilling whiskey. Sadly, he's uh, he's in, he's he's having a proper like um. I'll tell you when I've had enough. Moment, uh, evening of sadness. About yeah, this. yeah. And his pal gives him some sage advice, uh, or not even sage advice. Kind of rub salt in the wounds to an extent by saying, uh, "When a man loses his hose, he loses everything." And then Zora's like, "I didn't lose a man. They just blew up." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, a, like like from a business point of view, the outcome is basically the same. <laughs> And then his friend is like, lots of luck with your exploding bitches. <laughs> in an ideal like, world, he would just go and find them, rough them up and bring them back. They're branded, he'll find them in any crowd. Right? Jesus but he doesn't have Christ. that luxury now because they're just particles all over a wall. Zoro doesn't have his troubles to seek at this point, but he does almost burn the club down here by punching Elizabeth so hard he almost decapitates her because he overhears some of the dialogue that she's trotting mm. out from earlier on, understands the situation, realises his various missing bitches may not be as far as they seem. Punches her in the head. Uh, like I say, oh, she is almost decapitated. Electricity shoots everywhere and chaos reigns. Yeah, that little guy that's uh, Zorro's pal, he thinks he's getting lucky with her. And presumably, I mean, he slides under the table, which I can only imagine is that he plans to give her cunnilingus. And uh, like so many people before him, explodes in a stock footage fireball. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. I like that stock footage fireball a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. And just from that, like, everybody is absolutely coughing, losing their shit. Like, it's, like, the worst thing that's ever happened. Like, nobody can deal. There's chaos. People are just, like, fleeing the scene. And in this moment, like, Zoro has every opportunity to mm. nail both Jeffrey and what's left of Frank and Hooker. But but he doesn't. He stands behind the curtain. That's right. Plotting. Um, yeah, yeah. Jeffrey just swoops in and kind of clips her head back on like a Pez dispenser and then hustles her back out into the street and into, like, into his car and back home. And rather than any, like you said, he, at any point in here, Zorro could have ripped this little man limb from limb, could literally have ripped Frankenhooker or Elizabeth limb from limb because she's held together with purple. It's, 
It's like purple putty. Yeah. And, and yeah. also, how the fuck does Zoro get to Jersey? Like, we know this motherfucker doesn't have a car. He hops in a taxi. He gets in <laughs> a taxi and says, follow Oh, does car. he get a taxi? Yeah. Oh, does he? Oh, I always miss this part. I never knew how Zoro got to New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, Thank no, you, he, Anthony. He follows, in a, he follows in a taxi, which is presumably an expensive journey. Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> I'm really going like to pay the, the toll. Idea that um, uh, you've spent this entire time with every other viewing of this just assuming he has superpowers. <laughs> I just assume that everyone's like, well, no one's going to believe that he has a car. <laughs> my favourite. And, no, and, and I don't believe he takes a taxi. You're right. That's way too expensive. <laughs> he's, a, he's a shrewd businessman. He's a man with a lot of, a, a lot of folding cash. He's ready to go. Like, this, this taxi is nothing to him. Uh, what Maybe he's got a bits? Christmas club as well. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, uh, he's another one of those Christmas Club billionaires you read about. One of my favourite things is when Zoro confronts Elizabeth and he's screaming at her face, this isn't your arm, where did you get this arm? Whose yes, arm is this? yes, this isn't your arm, you're not my bitch, yeah. where's my bitch? <laughs> oh my god, at this point Jeffrey tries to do some emergency repairs. Mm, um, yeah, Elizabeth's now got the ubiquitous Frankenstein neck bolts. Mm, yes and he does a really strange erotic dance with a three-pronged uh, extension cable that's right i don't know what it was supposed to be but he did something something was happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah wheels returning but now um, this time elizabeth is back to herself i mean right. mentally not yes. physically she still looks a fucking mess excuse me <laughs> I'm, i mean a hot mess mm. thank you it's more like it yeah, she's yeah. You're right, Lauren. She is revived at this point, but she does. She comes back with a fully formed memory of her former self at this point. So she is fleetingly the kind soul that we met for like three minutes an hour ago. But she very quickly and kind of understandably gets fairly enraged and kind of worked up at the condition that she is currently in. While this is going on, we realize that uh, Zoro has, by whatever means, followed them home. And then, and, and this is one of my favorite parts when he's like Santa Claus calling his reindeer. He's like, come on, bitches. Where are my bitches? And he starts calling them out by name, doesn't he? Do you want me to go back and read them all out again? <laughs> Old time's sake. I mean, we're here now. You mean when he's shouting at Elizabeth and saying, honey, angel, crystal amber, Anisha, through snow sugar and monkey. Where are you? Are you in there? <laughs> but yeah, he does do that um, around the time that he takes Jeffrey's head off with a cleaver. Mm. And, and Elizabeth there, not helping her homeboy at all. Not at all. Not stepping up in the least. I feel like in that moment, again, the horse has already bolted his heads off. Just saying, Andy, <laughs> silence, silence was deafening. It was almost like when uh, the mower was coming for her in the beginning, and Jeffrey says, sotto voce, don't stand in front of it. Yeah, oh, hey, no, don't do that. It was a that. very similar of, like, oh, remember when you helped me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. She doesn't do much here in, in kind of retaliation for this murder of her beloved. Uh, it falls to the body parts in the freezer, which have been energised by the earlier lightning strike, to come to Jeffrey's aid, really. I don't know if they're so much coming to Jeffrey's aid as they are attacking Zorro for what is presumably years of horrible abuse. And why exactly could Zorro not escape from the wee body parts? Was he, is it too slippery? Did he hurt himself? Did I miss him getting an another cab what happened <laughs> well he's, he's wrestled to the ground by a laughing fanny okay yeah, right right yeah. i remember that i a mean how can arms. one wee fanny keep him down it's a very good question i feel like the laughing fanny is just there to irritate while the actual restraint and assault is coming from the head with hands so it's like more mm. of a taunting fanny 
I, I think it is, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to like go racing past this without talking about the fact that the end of this is absolute fucking chaos. Uh, in the best possible way. When this happened, when all these kind of like amalgamated body parts um started kind of descending on the scene and causing all this kind of absolute chaos and attacking Zoro and stuff. Unsurprisingly, on first watch, didn't see it coming at all. But it also felt like a totally organic build from everything else that we watched as well. I was like, <laughs> yep. I was like, I was like, I don't understand how we got here, but the journey makes sense. <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's it's one of those things when you're like, ah, yes, Hen and Lauder. It's just like, you know, his signature. And I don't know, it just feels like you're home. <laughs> I kind of get that. Yeah. But now, guys, sadly, we're pulling into the end here. Elizabeth has sure. the power. She brings her beloved back to life. But as we've already learned, his serum that he's created is mostly made of estrogen. He can only bring back female body parts. Yep, estrogen-based only, I believe. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which leads us to the hilarious and impossible to remove from your brain after you've seen it final shot of this film. <laughs> now, he's covering up the vagine. Sure. Yeah. Though, mm-hmm. which I, I'm guessing was a censorship thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's, that they that had seems... that they had to cover up the corpse vagina that was on yeah. him. Yeah. That seems like the only thing that would really inform that decision. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously like very much like his head is sticking through a board and there's a yeah. body on it. 100%. And, yeah. An assortment of other people's arms uh, also sticking through. And I do yeah. appreciate the very awkward like touching of the titties of his titties for the first time. Would you think he'd be very excited because he's very titty obsessed? He is quite concerned about his missing Johnson. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's a swings and roundabout situation here because yeah, he, 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 has, he has gained the titties but lost the Johnson. Um, mm. And I think that yeah i think that that seems to be the thing that's troubling him the most at this point at this point we are out on frankenhooker like straight to jazz and credits yeah. like Screen bam it's done what else hit them with this move jazz andy you first what do you want me to say here mitch this film's amazing yeah i was gonna say i kind of feel like your opinion on it's pretty well established at this point yeah watch it everyone watch it find it watch it even if you watch it with spanish subtitles uh, I'm going to say especially if you're watching it with Spanish subtitles, but yeah, um, Lauren, great pick. I really enjoyed this. Um, I wasn't sure if I would. Um, I feel like I've said this a couple of times lately with things that I've ended up really enjoying, but this is not the kind of thing that I would actively dig out of my own volition, I think, were it not something that we were doing for this or something that we that was kind of recommended to me. It's not the kind of thing, like I said, that it would just be kind of like um, in my nature to seek out. So it's good to have these conversations and have them kind of brought to my attention because I like this way more than I thought I was gonna. And even managed to successfully check my hatred of people talking to each other, uh, talking to themselves at the door, which I really didn't know if I was going to be able to do after about 10 or 15 minutes of this. I like this quite a bit. I think that there's a couple of really great central performances in this. I think that Elizabeth and Jeffrey are both brilliant. And I think that where this ends up going is kind of like really unexpected and really, really fun. And yeah, I think I, I just I just like this a fair bit more than I expected to. Uh, I thought this was a great call. Mitch, can I ask a quick question? Okay. The version that you watched, was it under the Spanish title, uh, Frankenputa Vicios Diabolicos? It was. Yeah, that's right. Was that's it exactly really? Oh, wow. that's so hot. Right? But yeah, no, uh, thumbs up for me. I would say go check it out. Smashing. So, Lauren. Yes? <laughs> um, 
A couple of things that uh, you've worked on in the past kind of becoming available over here just kind of recently in a couple of cool different forms. Like we've got the uh, the Arrow video release of The Woman, also Artix on Prime Video over here now as well. Is there anything in particular you want to talk about? Um, oh, God, I don't know. You know, if you guys haven't seen my films, you should go see them. I guarantee you'll like one of them. I can guarantee <laughs> you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's really all I have to say. Go watch my shit. All right. I appreciate everyone who does and everyone who already has. I'm a big horror fan myself. I'm really just kind of anxious to get back into watching movies, actually, after having a refluxy child and not having a life. I'm finally getting back into living one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I really like your podcast as well, because I can, you know, get recommendations or, or know which movies to avoid and not waste my precious time with. Well, yeah, which is as important, I guess. I feel like you shouldn't really be using our podcast for any kind of <laughs> litmus test in the films that you should be watching. I disagree. <laughs> like, listen, we've got, you guys did Teen Witch. Uh, mm. I just listened to People Under the Stairs, which is another favorite of mine. <laughs> now we've got Frankenhooker. You guys have a solid, you have a lot of solid ones on here. Thank you very much. And even and even Orphan, like, I'm really excited to listen to that because now I've got, like, a build up <laughs> and I hear about all these people talking about it. And that was one for me, which was just, I'm watching it going, oh, this is shit. Oh, this is so shit. And then afterwards, I'm like, I fucking love that movie. I mean, it's, it's one that you love to laugh at. And I love movies like that. Like, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is one of my comfort shows. Like, anytime that I'm feeling down, I'll put that on. And it makes me so happy. So, yeah, I kind of love trash. Sure. So do we. <laughs> uh, Lauren, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I, I hope I didn't blab too much. I, no, I talk not a lot. Not at all. Um, Thank you very much for doing this, Lauren. Where can people catch you on social media? I keep changing my Twitter handles and all this stuff because I've had stalkers. I've had all kinds of issues. And then... Most recently, I wanted to just like purge my Twitter account and I started following other people. Just like I love movies, but it was just all movies all the time, mm -hmm. all business. And I just wanted to like learn about, you know, I, I'm in linguistics now. I'm in grad school and I just wanted to like learn about linguistics and forensic linguistics and aphasia and speech therapy and i'm like oh if i follow enough people then i'll eventually get other things in my feed no once you're in the film feed you cannot get out there's <laughs> you don't get anything else so i had to create a new handle and just get just get a new social media life so i'm at uh i think it's davison lac um that's that's how much i fucking promote myself <laughs> but if you like if you follow me you're gonna get a lot of like linguistic stuff and comedians because i like that and then some film stuff i'm very random so i don't know if you want to follow me you can but you don't have to <laughs> do what you want <laughs> exactly go live your life but watch my films please <laughs> I like more than one of your films. Yeah, you do. Too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Aww. Well, thanks, I, I was going to say, also, know my way around a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, thanks, thanks so much. Thanks for noticing me. <laughs> Hold up. 
so Andy, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, in terms of the guests that we've had lately and people whose work I've admired for a long time, I've been doing pretty well, and that was another great one for me. Yeah, yeah, you are hitting all your desired guests. Like, I'd say the last kind of six months of this year have really been a culmination of everything you set out to do with this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, there's probably an element of truth to that, to be honest. Um, I've been extremely fortunate. Uh, but huge thank you to Lauren Ashley Carter for joining us this week to talk Frankenhooker. A whole bunch of her films are available and out there right now in the UK. Just a handful of the ones that we mentioned, The Woman, Imitation Girl, Jug Face. These are all great things. Go check them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much to Lauren for just being super cool with me over the past kind of year or so. She's been a, a good pal, actually. Uh, been a bit of a spirit guide with the whole parenting thing, I believe. Yeah, if I'm not yeah, yeah, which is <laughs> it's been really great. So, uh, yeah, can't thank her enough for that. Uh, by the way, Mitch, you, we did briefly mention it a minute ago, but that's us done three Hen and Lotter films, I think, in the last year or so. Yeah. Um, all chosen by women. Which I think is a really cool thing, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I wonder what it is that's drawn women so much to the films of Frank Hen and Lotter. Frank Hen and Lotter, secret feminist, question mark? You can say. Yeah, wonderful. And with that, we're out for another one. Huge thank you to everybody for joining us again this week. However, we're never gone for long. We are hurtling towards Christmas, though, at a rate that could only be described as breakneck. Wow, yes. And we will be back with another Minnesota on Monday. We're doing all the usual stuff. Andy will be burrowing back into Nature Gone Wild. You did promise us some festive creature features, so I'm looking forward to oh, that. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. We'll be talking about what we've been watching in general. Um, We will be playing Mitch's Pictures, taking a look at the feedback as well. Loads and loads of great stuff. If you want to get in touch between now and then, there are loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email scenes at gmail.com. And you can, of course, interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. And Patreon everyone who's already there we love you so much everyone who's increasing their tier like that's absolute madness thank you so much it's our solemn hope and in fact promise that we will get a patreon watch along together before 2020 closes out and hopefully just around the time that those much sought after coronavirus vaccines start to roll off the production line and into your arms with any luck we're back this monday with the final mini-sode of 2020 join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chats goodbye bye guys love you very much bye you've been listening to strong language and violent scenes with andy stewart and mitch bain strong language and violent scenes theme by mitch bain production and artwork by andy stewart find us on stitcher itunes spotify google podcasts and podbean